Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, John Stark on trading our need to be noticed for a hidden life with Christ. We know that our our main identity is in Jesus. Um, How much we had lived in ways that had formed us into thinking that the most important thing about us are the things that we can show or display. And when Jesus talks about the exact opposite is actually true, the, the most important part, or maybe the fundamental part about you are the things that are actually displayed in secret to the Father, and everything else is a fruit of that. John Stark, next. In Scripture, Jesus teaches us to live ultimately not for the eyes of others or even for ourselves, but in the secret place where our Father in heaven sees and rewards. John Stark, pastor of Apostles Church Uptown in New York City, applies this teaching to our lives in his new book, The Secret Place of Thunder, trading our need to be noticed for a hidden life with Christ. Pastor Stark, what is the backstory to the book? As I understand it, it grew out of some things you began to notice during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, and it you know, it's probably something that had always been there, but it, it was definitely something that maybe uh, show bore its head maybe more explicitly in uh, the pandemic. But you know, in in Manhattan, where where we are at, like most places, everything shut down. But what was odd was just how empty Midtown Manhattan was. Everyone was at home working Mm. and my pastoral um, conversations um, begin to notice a kind of anxiety and not just anxiety about getting sick or staying healthy, which was there, but it, it began to sort of show itself as uh, a fear of just not being seen, a fear of um, being passed over. So everyone's working at home Mm -hmm. and that fear of, Okay, are they thinking that they can get along without me just fine? <laughs> Is there a fear that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not uh, needed? Uh, and so people begin to turn in projects, you know, that they weren't asked to create. Um, they and still on top of the projects they were asked to create. So kind of burnout, kind of mm. lack of resiliency in that season became kind of a normal thing. Um, so it just. I think begin to show just a small fruit of something deeper that had been around for a while. And that fruit is, and I'm wondering if it's maybe exacerbated in a big city like New York City, but of of uh, wanting to be noticed or at least people to be aware that you're there to not lose track of you, and all you can, all you really have is what you're doing before yeah, their your eyes. Performance, your performance, yeah, and I, I think that probably sort of showed, which gets to the point of the book, is we had found um, or where we had established our sense of self and our sense of well-being and being secure in who we are was was deeply rooted in our performance before others. And so when that was taken away, there was a kind of fragility and fear uh, that came to the surface. And so that became a, a sort of pastoral concern for me. And you're you're saying that um, it was not just during COVID nineteen, but just in general, our sense of identity is yeah. strongly tied to our performance. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think so. And the markers uh, then of a good life in the in the minds of most of us then are what we're showing to people, what we're yeah. manifesting, what at least what we purport to put yeah. forward. An unarticulated belief or maybe a message that we had digested. Um, and that, I'm not just simply talking about our church. I think mm -hmm. just modern people is that the most important things about you are the things that we can display before others, something that we can show. And of course, if we're Christians, we would never articulate that, it, at least not that way. But I, I do think there was a kind of digested, uh, a digestion of that message in our, our normal way of being. It sort of surprised us. It can surprise us a little bit. That even as Christians, when we're, we know that our, our main identity is in Jesus, um, how much we had lived in ways that had formed us into thinking that the most important thing about us are the things that we can show or display. And when Jesus talks about the exact opposite is actually true, the, the most important part, or maybe the fundamental part about you are the things that are actually displayed in secret to the Father, and everything else is a fruit of that. So that if other things like being seen at work or being uh, being impressive to others, when those things go away, we don't fall apart because what's truly hidden, what's truly real with the Father is still there. And of course, uh, in terms of what we show to other people, uh, our outward lives, loving your enemies, loving each other, loving yeah. our neighbor. I mean, they're all commands that Jesus gives, but you're saying the right. the ability to carry those commands out comes from him. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you have these uh, commands by Jesus to, to don't perform your righteousness before others, right? Do it in secret. So he's talking about almsgiving, he's talking about fasting, he's talking about prayer. And you're not meant to be, you're not trying to show your righteousness before others. You're meant to actually have a secret life with the Father. But then he also says at the same time, um, don't, don't hide your light as if you're putting it under a bushel, but you're like a city on the hill so that people can see your good works and glorify the Father. The, so it interested, you know, at first glance, at a superficial level, Jesus seems to be contradicting himself. Um, or uh, maybe there's something more to the fact that the substance of what you find your sense of self, your identity, your self-worth, who you are is meant to be found in Christ from the Father, right? In secret with the Father. And the fruit of your life should come from that. You, you, you shouldn't hide the fruits of your life. Um, the, the difference is, is when we shift that uh, of the ability to find our, our strong, unwavering foundation of who we are in Christ to a very fragile sense of who we are by being seen by others, by trying to be impressive, by trying to show the world that we're actually doing okay, that we have a, um, an admirable life. And that can just turn us into deeply fragile people. So while at, at a superficial level, those two things of have a secret life with the Father 
and don't put your light under a bushel seem to be in contradiction, but actually one's a fruit of the other. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Uh, well, it's a little bit like uh, in, in the book of James, faith without works is dead. The uh, of, of yeah. faith that is alive will show itself yeah. in works, even though the faith is something internal. Yeah where yeah. the heart is, is, is fixed upon Christ. And it's interesting that you talk about, of course, uh, the, the living our lives before other people or finding our identity in the life that we're showing to others. In the world, that's very much the case. And yet, I think you write that it's the case, too, uh, among Christians or in the church. We can yeah. get kind of so familiar with being aware of maybe how a, how a Christian looks or a Christian talks or a Christian... Yeah. Uh, functions or whatever that uh, yeah. we may, there may be a subtle shift there that we might not be realizing that we've made. Yeah, I think what is sort of an unconscious formation can begin to happen is that the the longer we're a Christian, the longer or the better we get at knowing what it looks like to be humble, right? <laughs> certain facial expressions, the sort the posture, the words, um, we actually can get pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And there's a danger of, and sometimes we do it, it's just unconscious. We, we like when we begin to be known as someone who is Christ-like, is humble, is godly, and it can come from them seeing just the outward expression of those things rather than the inward dynamic of the reality. So there's a line, uh, Sophie Gilbert, who's a journalist, I I don't know whether she's a Christian or not, but she seems to be working in this performative reality that this world is going in, um, or our world seems to be walking in. She says, it's become where the performance of the self has become more important than the reality. And that could be true among Christians, where the performance of our holiness or our righteousness can become more important than the actual reality of it. And, you know, I I do think just the pastoral concern as Jesus seems to be leading us is you need to probably have some ways in which you do the substance of your Christian life. Maybe not all of it, but the substance of it needs to be practiced in private primarily. So that you aren't doing it just to be seen, but you're 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 practicing your public Christian life out of the reality of already being loved, already being accepted, already being a daughter and son of the Father. You're not uh, though uh, calling for uh, a life that's more secluded or more private, no. though. No, and I actually think you know that there, this provides a, a more fruitful public life. So, you know, if you think about someone like uh, Augustine of Hippo from the fourth century, I have a bookshelf right here next to me and there's the collection or just a collection of his books and it's dozens, but I know there's libraries full actually of his works. Mm-hmm. And he was a, a practicing pastor. He was, uh, you know, he was over churches. Uh, he was a bishop, so he was over several churches, super active but he would say over and over again that the key to a fruitful life is a quiet life with the Father. So this was someone who, super active, had um, so much responsibility and incredibly fruitful and productive. But he would say the key to all that is a quiet life with the Father that's important. And I think that's the substance of it is not 
to go out into the wilderness and never be seen again by the world, but to actually find yourself fully in Christ rather than trying to find yourself in how people uh, see your works. Well, the book is The Secret Place of Thunder, Trading Our Need to Be Noticed for a Hidden Life with Christ. My guest is the author, Pastor John Starkey, is pastor of Apostles Church in Manhattan. And I would think this pressure you're talking about, and of course, Pastor Stark, I want to get to what that secret place of thunder is, how we find it, how we live in that. But it, the, the pressure on a pastor must be particularly intense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there is something to uh, a season in our world where, you know, uh, when I first moved to New York about 12, 13 years ago, hmm. um, I could walk into any public building, uh, any hospital convention center or whatever, uh, community center. And there'd be a kind of deference to a pastor of just sort of, um, yeah. you know, they might misplace what tradition I come from, but they at least wanted to give some deference or, um, respect, whatever. Yeah. And they, they might not have agreed with anything that I would believe in, but they would at least have the assumption that whether they were right or not, in reality, but they would, I think, have at least have the assumption that because I was a Christian, I was at least more moral than them. You know, I kind of had a morality, at least. They might be goofy, might have weird beliefs, mm-hmm. but he's, he's going to be a good person. I can trust him. I think just in a small matter of time, um, that narrative has been flipped. So, uh, pastors are now kind of seen through the filter of you are an immoral person, Mm. you are using your authority abusively, or you hold beliefs that are actually oppressive. And so there's like a, I'm actually not as moral as you anymore. (laughs) Uh, uh, There's a moral. And so there's a, I think a kind of pressure. I think Christians feel this overall, but I think there's some representation there as a pastor that we can feel uh, the pressure. Like, no, 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 I'm actually really good. I'm actually moral. I take care of my family. The women in my church don't feel like they're just in a misogynist culture or, right. you know, it's it's a, a kind of perf- a pressure to perform or to find affirmation from the secular world to, f- to make sure that they believe that we're doing okay. Um, rather than finding resources in what the father thinks of you. So when the father says of Jesus, you're my son, and whom I'm well pleased. Well, if you're in Christ, that's what the Father says of you. You're my daughter. You're my son. I'm I'm pleased with you. We didn't do anything to serve deserve that. We didn't do anything for him to be provoked to say that. He just loves us because he loves us. And um, that in Christ reality that we have needs to be the place where uh, we, we find the affirmation that we need to get through day to day, week to week, rather than looking for all the fragile places to find our stability. You know, they just just won't we won't last as people if that's where we're seeking. It'll be tossed to and fro to everyone's opinion, and uh, it's just not a stable place. When the voice of the Father is our is our stable home. Well, when we're as you say, we realize. Uh, through faith in Christ that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. Yeah. How do we, uh, if you will, appropriate that? And that and again, your, your book makes it clear that so much of what we're talking about isn't a one-time understanding or a one-time 
apprehension, but it is ongoing. It's daily. Is it something yeah. we need to meditate on? Yeah. I mean, the wonderful thing is the truth happens to us once. <laughs> We're in Christ and suddenly, mm -hmm. you know, what's true of Christ is true of us. What belongs to Christ belongs to us. Mm -hmm. We get brought into this family, right? Yeah. Um, but what we're doing for the rest of our life is unlearning what the world has taught us about ourselves and, and what the good life is. And so it's constantly untangling, reminding, putting ourselves in a place to receive um, what the Father has for us. Someone um, has mentioned in another place, uh, prayer can simply be described as getting close enough to God to hear him say, I love you. And, you know, the prayer is, of course, hundreds of other things included in that as well. But there's something simple enough. How do I put myself in the way of hearing what the Father says about me over and over and over again? Just to hear that voice that the Father says over Christ, he says over us. And so there is a kind of learning uh reforming or maybe counterforming how we've been shaped mm -hmm. by our culture and sort of recatechizing our hearts because we are being catechized whether it's what the world says about us and how we should live or um what the father says about us and how we should respond to his love um so yeah it is a very daily ongoing uh, way of trying to find uh, our foundation in the words of the Father. has to do, uh, obviously, as the Book of Romans says, about that transformation of our minds. Yes. Yeah. Romans 12. Yep. You obviously, look a lot at uh, Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is, where he says, do not do your, your alms or your giving or your charity. Don't do your fasting. Don't do your praying. Yeah, your prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, before before others to be noticed by them, but but do them in secret before your father why, yeah. why did he choose these three i mean some people may even say i i don't i don't even fast i don't know what yeah. why, why, why did he <laughs> focus on these yeah it's so interesting because if you read matthew 5 he starts with very clear sins anger uh lust and and what he's pointing out here is the sin behind the sin so uh, even when you're angry, it's as good as murder, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you lust, it's as good as adultery. But when he goes to chapter six, he actually is go going to virtue, but he's showing the sin behind even our virtue. So when we're uh, giving to the poor in order to be seen, in order to trumpet before others, um, you have your reward and it's not a very good one. Or when you, you know, you fast and you come into the room and you're, you're looking very tired and worn out and someone says, you know, um, you doing okay? And goes, well, you know, I'm fasting. <laughs> there's your, there's your reward. And it's not a very good one. And what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that there's, there's a lot of strength and power and rewards, so to speak, um, in these practices. It's just, when you're using them in order to be received and well thought of before others, you steal its source of power and its sort of rewards with the Father. Um, so to give an example, later in the Gospels, um, Jesus comes down a mountain, it's after the transfiguration story, 
and a, a father has been pleading with his disciples to heal his son who's possessed by a demon and jesus comes in and and heals the son and uh the disciples are wondering why why couldn't we do it and he said well because this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting and I, what you know what i think is is interesting is that those are those same secret habits that Jesus points out and, and noticing that there's actually a lot of potency and power in these secret habits that the kingdom is, is hidden. It's small. It's unassuming. It doesn't come in like a thunderclap. It comes in like with a whisper. And, and so for us to participate in this power, which is, you know, infinite power of, of Christ, um, it has to be done through, you know, uh, practices that, that oftentimes make us seem pretty weak. Fasting makes you pretty weak and needy. Prayer is not something to get better at. It's something to, you know, understand more and more how weak and needy we are. So the fact that prayer and fasting is the key to great spiritual strength and power um, is surprising. So uh, I, you know, I think Jesus here is is leading us to a place that finds its reward with the Father. We get to hear what He has to say of us. We get to be with Him forever, and all the inheritance with Christ we get to receive, but also a, a, an abundance of spiritual strength and power to to not be so fragile in this world, but to act to be, but to actually be effective for His kingdom. This this is the goes to the title of your book, The Secret yes. Place of yeah. Thunder. Yeah, The Secret Place of Thunder, is, it's interesting because, you know, it comes from Psalm 81, where the Lord is saying to Israel, you cried out in Egypt when you were enslaved, and I heard you in the secret place of thunder. And if you would just turn from your idols uh, and open up your mouth to me, I would fill it. So it's it's this... Don't don't reach for some other idol. Don't reach for another safety scheme, another s- salvation plan outside of me. Come to me in your longings and in your prayers, and I'll be the one who satisfies you. And it'll be far more satisfying than any um, safety scheme in Egypt, or you know, for us in the world, you know. And, and perhaps you've just answered that, but I'd, I'd like to ask uh, this question, just coming back to uh, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, don't do your, your giving, your fasting, your prayer before yeah. men, but rather do them uh, in secret before your Father, and your Father who sees in secret will reward yeah. you openly. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I think understanding the rest of Scripture, we, we have to resist this being a, um, a legalistic that it's a you scratch my back, I scratch your back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's there's something to this two realities, where one reality is I'm scrounging for being seen, being loved and affirmed by what I'm presenting to the world or by what I'm giving to others. And that has its reward. Mm-hmm. And if if we want to be honest, it has some immediate impact with us. Like it, it feels good. It feels satisfying. Sure. At, at immediately yeah. it does. Mm-hmm. But the lasting effects of it, um, you know, scripture is pretty clear over and over again. It's just like a, it's it's frail. It's fragile. It doesn't it doesn't 
It's not meat that will finally satisfy us and nurture us. On the other hand, is living before the Father and you're consistently hearing his voice. And just like a relationship um, with my wife, if if I'm if I'm treating her with the integrity of our relationship, I'm I'm giving her my attention, then that becomes its reward. Like she there, there's a kind of uh, dependence and back and forth in our relationship. And increasingly so it's with the father who, who gives us a, a sense of his love and, and our inheritance. And, and you are actually soaking in and experiencing what you have in Christ fully. So, you know, um, there's a kind of already and then not yet about this reward. We can already experience now because of the power of the spirit the satisfaction that we have with the Father, when we do these small crucifying steps, I call them, of sort of resisting doing our righteousness before others, it sort of kills slowly that dependence upon the voice of others, and it nurtures and grows the openness of of how the Father actually nurtures us. So, it allows us to kind of follow the pattern of Psalm 81, to, to open our mouth wide, so to speak, and then He will fill it. Um, so we have an experience of that now that will be fully re- realized and recognized in Christ um, when He comes for us, and and so to to live fully on the world and what the world has for us steals both the immediate power and strength that we have from the Father, and ultimately, if we keep going in with the world and not with the Father, uh, we lose we lose the reward at the end that we have in Christ. So reward is is less of a I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but it's more of a and it's you know less transactional mm-hmm. and more covenantal with the Father. Um that I've already given you everything. Don't don't give it up by reaching for what the world offers, so to speak. And you uh our time is going very quickly and there's so much in your book, The Secret Place of Thunder, trading our need to be noticed for a hidden life with Christ. And a big part of this as you go uh, toward the end of the book, toward the conclusion, is that um, th- that you talk about dying, and it's not a, a subject that uh, is it's one that you don't hear often uh, dwelt upon, but it's certainly a theme in the New Testament where Jesus says, well, for example, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and, and follow him. You describe that as, as a process of dying to the promises of the world. Yeah daily that that is the christian life yeah i mean death is not an easy thing um it's not a fun thing jesus i think jesus gives us a mercy in understanding that um walking with him will sometimes oftentimes feel like death you're you're dying to what the world longs to give us you're dying to what we can receive um, be, being a secret life, having a secret life, it sounds I- idealistic. Like there's a there's a narrative in the world that says, "Hey, um, if you if you don't care what the world thinks, then the world will realize that it, it couldn't live without you." The world is actually pretty great at living without you. You know, it it if you don't try to find a way to live performatively, the world it it easily ignores you, and that can feel like death. I think there's a a strength and necessity that the New Testament does, and we actually need to follow it into communicating that um, being ignored 
is hard and it feels like a death. Um, being passed over uh, can feel humiliating and it feels like a death, but it's actually following in the path of Christ. Um, and to resist going to the right or to the left to receive what the world might have for us, there I think there is a, an increasing amount of strength and power and a source of you lose the fragility that you find when you're trying to live on what the world says and you gain a strength. Um, and I think it becomes evident. I think if you, if you know people who it seems evident that they've lived this way, there's something to their face that just seems like there, there, there's nothing fragile on the inside. There's something deep and strong there. And I, I think that's, that's where Jesus is calling us. It just, oftentimes feels like death in the middle between between those two ends of fragility and strength. It's not from inc increased strength, it's first a kind of diminishment and death, but there's a potency there that I think is really important to remember. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, John Stark, pastor of Apostles Church Uptown in New York City and author of the book, The Secret Place of Thunder, trading our need to be noticed for a hidden life with Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People.